Well, once again, we honor our moms, not just on this special day, but every day. But did you realize that Mother's Day is under attack? There are those who say that Mother's Day is gender exclusive. In this day of attempting to redefine the family, these opponents want to rename Mother's Day Loving Parents Day or Guardians Day. Give me a break. God created man and woman, and He put man and woman together in the institution of marriage. And mothers are so important. In fact, the word mother is found over 300 times in the Bible. Where would we be without our mothers? Obviously, we wouldn't be here this morning, would we? But uh, where else would we be? Beyond that basic reality, where would we be without our mother's love and nurture and and uh, planting seeds of faith in our lives. Our mother's teaching. John Wesley said about his mother, Susanna, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than all the theologians in England. Probably the greatest inheritance that you can pass down to your children, that you can leave for your children, is a first-hand model of what it means to be a serious, devoted follower of Christ and what it means to abide in Christ. The greatest thing we can do for our children is to pass down the faith, to teach them how to follow Jesus. Yet, and listen very carefully, we cannot pass down what we do not have, can we? We cannot teach what we are not practicing. It won't mean anything if we, if we try to. So folks, it's, it's paramount that all of us, we're talking about mothers today, but all of us become serious believers of the Lord Jesus Christ and follow Him as fully devoted followers of Christ. It's paramount that we abide in Christ. John, the gospel writer, loved this picture, this illustration of, of, of abiding. He used this word over 50 times in his gospel writing, 11 times in chapter 15. So I want to invite you to turn to 15 again. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. Verses 1 through 3 speak to our position in Christ. We believers are branches. Jesus is the vine. Our responsibility is what? Is to abide. In fact, we are commanded to abide. It is not optional. Abiding is not an option for the serious believer. The verb is active, meaning we must make the, the, the deliberate daily decision to abide in Christ. When we get up in the morning, we have the option. Will we abide in Christ? As we go throughout our day and distractions start pulling at us and, and uh, pressures start, start building and we get into the busyness of the day, are we abiding in Christ? Are we focused on Christ? Are we, are we connected to that vine? Or are we trying to make it on our own? Moms, are you abiding in Christ today? Are you trying to make it on your own? The verb is, is, is a very... It's is, is not optional for us. It's, it's, it's a command. So... Let's read as we challenge mothers to abide in Christ, kind of scan through 1 through 11 as we go through it. Isabel already read it for us earlier. So first of all, let's review the meaning of abiding. If you missed the first two sermons on abiding, I invite you to go back to our social media and catch up on them. But the word technically means to dwell, to inhabit, to occupy, to, or to reside. When we think about the meaning of abide in the context of this powerful picture of the vine and the branches, there are at least three implications we're talking about this morning. First of all, abiding implies an intimate relationship. There is a vital union between the vine and the branches that is more than, than just a connection. There, this union leads to intimate communion, 
to, uh, to fellowship, to deep fellowship. Effective Christian moms have a growing relationship with the Lord Jesus. So there's an intimate relationship. And not only that, second, abiding requires total dependence. The branches receive their life-giving nourishment from the vine. We rely on Jesus, the vine, for life. And we are totally dependent. Oftentimes, we act like we think we can do it on our own. We, we live life like we think we can do life on our own. But we can't because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So moms growing in Christ depend upon Jesus. How in the world do we make it without Jesus? We don't. Why do we even try? Bob Deffenbaugh wrote, Failing to abide is more than just a hindrance to fruitfulness. It is a severing from the source of life and leads to destruction. We cut off our lifeline, our source of life, when we fail to abide, when we fail to obey this, this command. Third, abiding implies perseverance. Abiding implies perseverance. That's, that's why one translation of the word is remain in me. Stick with me. Don't abandon me. Persevere with me. That's the way the word is used in John 12, 34. Remains forever. Abiding in Christ means we have a growing personal relationship with Jesus. We've made the decision not only to accept Christ as Savior, but to follow Him as a growing disciple. And we're so connected to Him that we cannot do anything apart from Him. Our focus is on Him. Our, our, our drawing of life, our sustaining is, is, is from Him. Our nourishment is from Him. Stated positively, whoever abides in Christ will bear much fruit. And I stated the other way, it's impossible to bear fruit without abiding in Christ. But the purpose of the vine is to abide in Christ and to bear fruit. So what is this fruit? What is this fruit? As we think about the basics of abiding, ultimately, it's Jesus living His life through our life. When we abide in Christ, and Christ abides in us, He becomes evident in us and evident through us. That's just basic. So we think about this fruit. Let me give you a definition of fruit. You're going to have to write, uh, write fast. The purpose of the vine is to bear fruit. What kind of fruit? Fruit is the inward Christ-like character. And the outward Christ-like behavior that brings glory to God and points people to Jesus. Leave that up there for just a second. So you see, it, it, it's the inward character that reflects that we're walking with the Lord, that we're connected to the Lord, that we're abiding in Christ. It's the outward behavior that's evidence of this inward character, this Christ-like character. So our character internally, our, our, our behavior externally brings glory to God and points people to Jesus. So the reason we abide in Christ is to bear fruit. But not only that, second, here's a second basic. The branches are the tools through which fruit is produced. Now God is the gardener. God the gardener produces the fruit. We the branches bear the fruit. Our responsibility is not to bear the fruit. Our responsibility is, is to abide and to, or our responsibility is to bear the fruit, not to produce the fruit. We're not the one who produces, we simply bear the fruit. 
So the branches are the tools through which fruit is produced. Third, branches only bear fruit in union with the vine. The only way to bear fruit is to be connected to that vine in that intimate fellowship. We can't emphasize enough that we cannot bear fruit on our own. We must be connected to the vine. Fourth, God the gardener also tends the vine. God the gardener tends the vine. For example, in verse 2 we read, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit... He takes away. Okay, that word takes away can be um, translated lifts up. He lifts up. In other words, he's, he's working his, his garden. He's taking care of his garden. So God the gardener produces the fruit. We the branches bear the fruit. Our responsibility is to bear and not to produce. We can't do this on our own. The gardener also tends the vine. If the vine needs to be lifted up, if the vine needs to be touched up so that the fruit can hang on the vine and get sunshine on different sides of the fruit instead of lying on the ground and be stepped on, then the gardener positions us. He's watching over his fruit. If the branches need pruning, the gardener does the cutting back. Sometimes a branch will start growing these these little shoots that take away sustenance that the fruit needs. So the gardener will cut away the shoots so that the fruit can, can produce. That's his responsibility. That's his job. Andrew Murray wrote, This pruning is not the removal of weeds or thorns or anything from without that may hinder the growth. No, it's the cutting off of the long shoots of the previous year. It's the removal of something that comes from within that has been produced by the life of the vine itself. Murray continues, The honest Healthy wood of the vine has to be cut away. And why? Because it would consume too much of the sap to fill all the long shoots of last year's growth. The sap must be saved up and used for fruit alone. It is only when everything that is not necessary for fruit bearing has been relentlessly cut down and when as little of the branches as possible remain that the rich, full fruit may be expected. So did you catch that? When everything that is not necessary for fruit bearing has been cut down, and when as little of the branches as remain possible as, as possible remain, then the full rich fruit may be expected. Fifth, the gardener uses the word to prune his branches. Look at verse three of fifteen. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. What is the role of the word? The word of God is His cutting instrument. God's Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. He uses His Word to cleanse us and to cut away that which hinders our fruit-bearing capability. When we humbly yield ourselves to the teaching of the Word of God, the gardener will do His work in our lives. He will prune away and cleanse anything in our lives that hinders His work or hinders His Holy Spirit. Andrew Murray wrote, let those who want to know all that the husbandman can do for them, all that the vine can bring forth through them, seek earnestly to yield themselves entirely to the blessed cleansing of the Word of God. Let them, in their study of the Word, receive it as a hammer which breaks and opens up, as a fire which melts and refines, and as a sword which lays bare and slays all that is of the flesh. 
The word of conviction will prepare them for the word of comfort and of hope. And the Father will cleanse them through the word. So obviously, we have to be in the word to receive benefit from the word. Six, abiding is simply resting in Christ. Now notice Jesus said, abide in me. Not work hard for me. Not strive earnestly in me. Not stay active and busy for me. Don't expend great energy for me. Simply abide. Jesus doesn't necessarily want us always to do for Him. Sometimes He just wants us to be. To rest in Him. To be silent with Him. To seek Him quietly. Simply to abide with Him. If He is the vine, then we are the branches. So we need to to lean on Him and let Him do His work. Simply dwell in Christ and rest in Him and, and rely on Jesus alone. Let's think about the busyness of this past week. We could talk about all that we accomplished. And it's important to accomplish things and not be lazy. It's important to work hard and make a living. But how much time did we simply abide in Christ? Not the doing, but the being as we abide. Third, not only must we understand the basics of abiding, but third, we need to receive the benefits of abiding. Pick up in verse 7 again. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things uh, I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So what are the benefits of abiding? First, prayer that gets results. Prayer that gets results. Look at verse 7. Boyd Packer said, there are few things more powerful than the prayers of a righteous mother. The prayer of Jesus references here is conditioned upon our abiding in Him. That's why the word if is in this sentence. He says, if you abide in me. This is not genie praying and expecting everything we ask for. This is not blank check praying. The reason our prayer is powerful, the reason our prayer gets results is because of the abiding. Sometimes we think God is not listening, don't we? Sometimes we think God is not answering our prayer. Have you ever felt that way? He is listening. And sometimes He simply delays His answer, but God wants us to trust Him enough to keep on asking and to keep on seeking and to keep on knocking. James in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask amiss. You're asking outside of God's will. Jesus said in 15, 7, You will ask what you desire. Look at that verse again. If you abide in me, there's that if, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. 
and it shall be done for you. Again, this is not a blank check. There are conditions here. We need to be abiding to pray this kind of prayer. Sometimes God says no to us because we're not praying His will. And we ask amiss. But often God gives us our desire because we're abiding in Christ. And when we abide in Christ, we are so tuned into His heart and so tuned into His will that, that uh, our desire is His desire. And we're asking within the parameters of, of His will. In chapter 15, verse 7, ask is an imperative. So again, prayer is not an optional discipline for the serious believer. Prayer is not suggested, it's commanded. Prayer shows we are depending totally on God and not ourselves. When we fail to pray, listen to this. When we fail to pray, we are showing God that we don't think we need Him. That we're smart enough, big enough, strong enough, independent enough just to, just to plow ahead on our own and, and we don't need Him. So we fail to pray. The kind of prayer Jesus is talking about in verse 7 is also conditioned upon my words abiding in you. When we're taking in the Word of God, which reveals the heart of God, and we're abiding in Christ by resting in Him and relying on Him and depending upon Him, we will naturally pray the kind of prayer that lines up with God's desire and lines up with God's will. Are you coming before the Father each morning and, and, and sharing your heart with God as you start your day? Are you coming before the Father throughout the day and, and sharing concerns and asking for, for wisdom before you go into this meeting or asking for wisdom before you deal with this situation and asking for His guidance before you proceed into that, uh, uh, that dilemma or that situation? Are you abiding in such a way that your desires are becoming God's desires? And when you pray, you're praying for what, what, what God would be praying if, he, if, if the shoe was on the other foot? Because you are so in tune with God? How's your prayer life? Moms, how's your prayer life? Seven. Second, rather, proven discipline. Proven discipleship. First is prayer that gets results. Verse seven, that's where the seven came from. I was looking at verse seven. Second, proving discipleship in verse eight. Look at verse eight. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit... So you will be my disciples. The word disciple is used in at least two ways in the New Testament. The first way it's used is in a very broad, general category to refer to, to everyone who accepts Jesus' teachings. They identify with Christ. But other times it's used to refer to those who are fully devoted to Christ and they want to multiply disciples by investing and pouring into another person and helping them become a fully devoted follower of Christ. They're following Jesus with their whole heart. They're completely committed to Jesus. So verse 8 refers to serious discipleship that's evidenced by spiritual maturity. In this context, discipleship is proven by our bearing much fruit, which brings glory to God. So the second benefit is proven discipleship. Folks, when we, when we are totally relying on God and on God to work and on God's work and on, on serving God and the power that comes only from God alone, then, then God does only what God can do in our lives and through our lives. 
when we're totally depending on God, then God can work through us. He has the freedom to work, and He does only what He can do in us and through us. You see, our lives are a reflection on the gardener. Murray put it this way, Men judge by the fruit of the garden the worth of the gardener. Men judge God by the fruit that the branches of the vine of His planting bear. Little fruit brings little glory to God. Third, here's another benefit as you look at verses 9 and 10. Unlimited love. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Continuously abiding in the vine means abiding in His love. Jesus is love. And the more connected we are to Jesus, the more of His love we can experience, and the more of His love flows through our life. Jesus wants His love to throw through our lives to impact others that only He can love. Note that love is marked by what? By obedience. Love is marked by obedience. Abiding and obedience to Christ go hand in hand. Are we being obedient to Christ? Are we walking in obedience? Are we following His commands? Or are we picking and choosing which commands we prefer to follow? That's not how it works when you're a serious disciple. So unlimited love. Fourth, full joy. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Why did Jesus speak everything He just shared with these disciples in verses 1 through 10? So that they might experience complete joy that comes from abiding in Christ and being obedient to Christ. Now, people try to find joy and fulfillment in their lives in in numerous pursuits. They try to find joy in their careers. They try to find joy in their family, their sport, their hobby, their, their, their other pursuit, or maybe the accumulation of material possessions. All of these things don't last. However, Jesus says that you can't have my joy without my life. If you abide in me and allow me to abide in you, then you will experience my joy. So this continuous, constant obedience to the command to abide, this this, this vine and branches relationship, that is the key to experiencing true joy because joy is found in Jesus alone. And Jesus gives us joy when we abide in Him alone. Think about your life for just a moment. Do you pray prayers that get results because you're abiding in Christ? You pray a prayer and you expect God to answer it, and lo and behold, He does answer it, and, 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 he, and, and His answer is better than anything we ever prayed for? Are you proving you're a disciple by bearing much fruit? Are you proving that you're a serious follower of Christ by your obedience? Are you abiding in His love? And is is His love flowing through your life and and, and loving those around you? How are you, what kind of of example are you setting as one who abides in Christ? What kind of impact are you having? How are you passing down the faith? Never underestimate the impact and the influence you have on your children's lives. Even grown children. Even grandchildren. Impact your grandchildren. Impact your children. They are watching you. They are following your lead. They are seeing your example. They are noticing your spiritual priorities. 
Where are you leading them? And what kind of example are you setting in terms of abiding in Christ? Moms, I want to leave you with this thought. When we abide in Christ's love, we've already read verses 9 and 10. We see what Jesus said about sacrificial love. Listen to verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Listen to this take on a mother's love as we think about this adaptation from 1 Corinthians 13. If I live in a house of spotless beauty, with everything in place, but have not love, I'm a housekeeper, not a homemaker. If I have time for waxing, polishing, and decorative achievements, but have not love, my children learn cleanliness, but not godliness. Love leaves the dust in search of a child's laugh. Love smiles at the tiny fingerprints on a newly cleaned window. Love wipes away tears before it wipes up the spilled milk. Love picks up the child before it picks up the toys. Love is present through the trials. Love reprimands, reproves, and is responsive. Love crawls with the baby, walks with the toddler, runs with the child, and then stands aside to let the youth walk into adulthood. Love is the key that opens salvation's message to a child's heart. Before I became a mother, I took glory in my house of perfection. Now I, now I glory in God's perfection, God's perfection of my child. As a mother, there is much I must teach my child. But the greatest of all of these is love. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our moms. We thank you, Lord, for each of us that can abide in Christ, Lord. We pray that we'll make that choice today to abide, to have that continuous fellowship, that, that continuous connection that gives us life, that gives us joy, that, that, that impacts our prayer life, that, that makes us a disciple, that, that helps us with obedience, that gives us the strength and the nourishment and the hope, Lord, to keep pressing forward in faith in tough times. Lord, again, we thank you for our mom's love, our mom's touch, our mom's faith, our mom's nourishment, our mom's nurture. Thank you, Lord, that their love is most times a reflection of your great, deep love for us. Lord, we thank you that we can come to Christ this morning if we don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. That someone, Lord, can say yes to Jesus, turning from a life of sin and, and rebellion and turning to a personal relationship with Jesus forgiveness, the certainty of heaven, a full and meaningful life of purpose. Lord, we pray for someone to say yes to Jesus this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.